Clark right on the leech, he closes, holds, scores! As only Reggie Leach can do it! And Reggie Leach gives the Flyers a 1-0 lead. He has got Ken Dryden mesmerized. Clark, Leach, and Barber over the line. Clark drops at the Leach, shoots, scores! Four goals for Reggie Leach! An incredible performance here at the Spectrum! Those are some of the great moments in the career and life of the Riverton rifle, Reggie Leach. The first First Nations hockey superstar from the Barrens River First Nations in Manitoba. He's our guest this week on our Akamema podcast. I'm your host, Perry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. Tansa and Tawau, welcome to the Akamema podcast. Akamema is Cree word for you all persevere, or in other words, keep going and don't give up. And our guest today has done a lot of all of that in his long career in professional hockey and after as well. Reggie Leach was a superstar in the National Hockey League during his 13-year career. In 1975, he helped the Philadelphia Flyers win the Stanley Cup. The next year, in 1976, he scored 61 goals. And in the playoffs against the Boston Bruins, he scored five goals in one game. That year, he also won the Conn Smythe Trophy as the National Hockey League's most valuable player in the playoffs. But those glory years involved the battle with alcohol. In 1985, after his hockey career ended, he checked into rehab and has been sober ever since, working with First Nations youth on using sports to promote healthy living. One year ago this week, he was awarded the Order of Canada. We reached Reggie Leach and his wife, Dawn Madabi Leach a leading First Nations business and economic development leader at their home at the on-deck Omnigaring First Nation on Manitoulin Island. So, I watched your five goals, your backhand yeah. there, your backhand against Boston goalie there. Three of them. Three of them. I, could have I, had, I could have had six if you were my centerman. I know, but you, <laughs> that, that last backhand, you didn't even look. Is that good medicine? Yeah, it didn't have to when you were in, in, in the zone, so you just kept on going. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, well, it's good to see you guys. Good, thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, no worries. So how have you both been doing with the pandemic up on Manitoulin Island? I've been doing great. You know, it's uh, so far, I'm still, we're still together <laughs> after three, three months in the same household and not leaving any place, not traveling any place because we're so used to traveling all over the world. And uh, now we're, we're, we are stuck together in a house and that, but it, you know, Perry, it, it's, it's, it, to me, it was a great thing because it, we sort of uh, reunited again of uh, things that we, we missed out with all our traveling and everything else. And, and I learned how to bake. He's, uh, he's, uh, he can make the best bakes gone now. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> right on. And pies and everything else. Yeah, so so everything's good. It's 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 been uh, it's been uh, a long two or three months, and uh, but I really enjoyed it. We're still safe here, and we're still wearing our masks and everything else. So it, it's something that uh, I think that everybody has to uh, carry on with it. Yes, even uh, we have a beautiful garden, a vegetable garden now we never had before, and. Uh, uh, Reg is learning Ojibwe as yeah. well, and uh, in the, through our prayers that we have, of course, and the, it's always important to speak the language, and Reg is learning that. And uh, we also uh, have just been uh, uh, focused on trying to stay healthy. Awesome. 
So you're basically nurturing your other skills besides hockey uh, when you're on a Mantua Island. So baking is another one in gardening. So that's great. So let's start with hockey. Reggie, do you remember what was going through your mind when you lifted up that Stanley Cup? You know, this young First Nations kid from Barron's River, First Nation. What was going through? How did you feel? What was going through your mind at that time? You know what? It, um, back in 1975, we did, we, I won my first cup with uh, playing against the Sabres in the sixth game. And I remember standing on the bench and looking at the clock. There was about 20 seconds left in the clock and it's counting down. And Larry Goodenough and I, another player, uh, Larry has never won the cup. We're sitting together and standing, actually standing up together. And we're watching the clock and Larry's going, Rage, we're going to win the cup. We're going to win the cup. And, and that at that time, we were very excited. As soon as the, as soon as the buzzer went, we jumped on, on, uh, on the ice and away we went and, and celebrated and everything else. But, you know, winning the cup at the moment, that uh, it, it's really exciting. And, you know, your thoughts are, are running wild and, but I think you realize after it's all over, after all the celebration and you're by yourself and you sit back and, and sort of focus uh, um, what happened. Of, uh, and it says, we, yeah, we really did win the cup. And that, that's the goal for everybody as a young kid, especially for myself as a, as a young Native player growing up in Riverton, Manitoba and, and, uh, and growing up in a Métis community. And that's all I wanted to do all my life was play hockey and win the Stanley Cup because I seen some, you know, I never seen my first National Hockey League game until I was 18 years old. I used to uh, listen to it on, on radio and on the radio and at that time. And, and uh, you know, I when I was playing uh, playing my junior hockey in Flintfon, you know, I got to meet some of the NHL players at that time. And I, the first NHL player I have ever met is when I was about 12 or 13 years old. Ted Green was the guest speaker in at a, at a sports banquet in Arbor, Manitoba, about 15 miles from where I lived. And I had the opportunity to go and see him. And I can remember being so excited and everything else. And, and, and I, you know, I didn't think the guy was human, but, you know, playing in the National Hockey League. But those are things that you reflect back on. But winning the cup is, is uh, to me, was exciting. That's one of the greatest things that best feelings I ever had was winning the cup and, and being part of it and, 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 you know, doing their things on ice for the team and stuff like that. So I, that was, I think it's been later years that Reggie, really realize what an accomplishment that has been. And I, I don't think it really resonated until more uh, in more recent years, especially living in Canada, as he traveled around and more people talk about it. I think that's when it, it, it sort of hit him more, I, I believe. Exactly. So it's a big accomplishment. But even mm -hmm. looking up, uh, you know, uh, watching the National Hockey League on TV, you know, back on the reserve, and there's only one channel you get, you know, in the right. original six. It's, but it was so good in the 70s, just listening, watching, and seeing your name out there. Yeah. And what was it like being a, I'm going to say superstar. I know you're a humble man. You're a very humble guy. But for a lot of us that watch hockey, you were a superstar in our mind. What was it like? You know, the thing is that, you know, uh, playing back in the 70s, and, you know, I've been lucky. I got... You know, I got drafted to Boston. I got to play with the great Bobby Orr, and I got to play against all my childhood heroes, Gordie Howe, Belleville, uh, Teddy Green, uh, all these other players that played in the league at that time. And, and you know, Bobby Hull, you know, and, and Dennis Hull and, and all these guys and sitting there. Like, I always say that my first year in Boston, I was the, I was the highest paid door opener 
in the National Hockey League because I opened the door for Orr and Esposito and all these guys to go and play because I didn't play that much my first year. So, and watching these guys and performing, and I watched Bellable play his last year in the National Hockey League, and it's amazing playing against the Montreal Canadiens and the, all these things that you put together and, and, and you move on. Like, I didn't think I was good enough the first couple of years I played in the National Hockey League, and I think I finally realized about the third year I was in there, I said, these guys are no different than I am. Mm-hmm. And then, then when I went from California to Philadelphia, and then that's where everything turned around again, and I got more, I got my confidence back, and and uh, playing with Bobby Clark and and you know, stuff like that. So it's uh, you know, I, I I could compete with them, and mm-hmm. I you know, being a First Nation player, and and I know that I was one of the best at one time. It was a great feeling. It was great because of uh, you know, I was a great I was a great goal scorer. I could shoot the puck really hard, and uh, it's you know, things like that. Uh, shooting the puck doesn't come easy. You have to practice at that stuff. And I used to shoot about 500 bucks a day. And mm-hmm. when I was a youngster, just practice, 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 practice. That's all I love doing. I love the sound. I love the sound. Well, actually, I, I love the silence when it hit the back of the net. But I also yeah. love the sound of the boards when I hit it. It was nice and loud. <laughs> so <laughs> I, don't, I don't think people realize, too, as in the, the days that Reggie played, he was the top scorer in the league. And if not one of the top scorers during yeah. his his era, and a lot of people don't realize that when you look at the, some of the scores uh, that came uh, with uh, Gretzky, of course, afterwards. But uh, uh, he 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 really set the bar at that time when he was playing, and he had also his uh, shot was measured as in the top five uh, fastest uh, shots in in the league. And, you know, there's a lot of things that uh, people, of course. Since then, things have changed. Sticks have changed in how fast the uh, shooting is. But I think he was clocked at well over 100 uh, miles an hour, not mm-hmm. kilometers, miles an hour. I think, what was it, 107, I think, yeah, something like that. in that area. Yeah. No, so that's but... a pretty, pretty, uh, that's why he got the name, the rifle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's, again, strong role model. Yeah. Uh, leading the way in the National Hockey League, especially back in the 70s. You know, the competition was really tough at that time. You know, and yeah. the, the yeah. best of the best got to make it. And so you're leading the way for a lot of our people there. I think, Perry, you know, a lot of times back in the 70s that I don't think a lot of our First Nation people knew that I, I was First Nation because it wasn't brought up that much in, in the National Hockey League. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it was sort of hidden from everybody. I don't think the National Hockey League at that time recognized all our First Nation players that played back then. Um, no diversity. There wasn't that. There wasn't that many players that played in the National Hockey League, even even in the in the minors. Um, yeah. So so it's something that uh, I think with the players that we have today, it's 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 uh, they're starting to showcase a lot of us now. Um, yeah. Maybe about after all these years, and you know, I think that we as First Nation hockey players is that we are so far behind from being scouted by the Western Hockey League or the Manitoba Junior League or Saskatchewan Junior League and stuff like that because it all goes back to us being First Nation people. Yeah, um, there's there's some systemic racism in the promotion because I've heard and seen so many talented First Nations people that never get selected for junior, yeah, never yeah. get selected for junior B, junior A, never get selected uh, you know, to move up into the, the, the ranks as well in the National Hockey League. So it, it's there is... Uh, People talk about systemic racism within the healthcare system or in the yeah. justice system. It's also in the sporting system. And uh, you can even attest to that. It's in everything. So we have a long way to go to fix things. 
Yeah, the thing with that is that, you know, this is happens way back in when I was growing up and I can I can remember facing racism when I was 16 years old for the first time. Yeah, I was in Winnipeg mm -hmm. and I didn't you know, I didn't know anything about racism. Uh, you know, I've grown up in, in a Métis community and, you know, one of the Icelandic kids or Ukrainians would say something to me about being an Indian. And I would say something about them being on their culture. We would fight for 30 seconds and we're friends again. Away we yeah. went. Yeah. So that's what I grew up on. But when I grew, but but experience the racism in Winnipeg was the worst that I I was, uh, you know, you, you, you could you could hear them. You know, yelling and screaming on the ice and everything else. And you know what my coach said, Pat Janelle at the time? He says, Reg, don't worry about it. He says, only reason they're saying something, you're being noticed. And because yeah. you're doing everything on right on the ice. And ever since then, I I, re I said, well, I'll perform on ice and stuff like that. So it's something that I always remember. And I could tell you a funny story. I remember my, my mom, Kate, she never comes to any hockey games, right? So she's up. We're playing in Winnipeg. Bobby Clark and I, and Bobby Clark, there was a face-off, and Clark, he said, look up there. There All of a sudden, I look up. There's my brother. He's fighting in the stands in the Winnipeg Arena, right? So we're sort of laughing about it. So we asked him after the game, he come down. He said, what happened? He said, well, this one guy was sitting in front of Mum, and this guy called me a dirty Indian, and Mum whacked him over the head with a purse. He said, that's my son, and the fight was on. <laughs> so, so, so after that, the she was calling Reggie. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So yeah. So after that, she wasn't allowed to come to any more games. Oh boy. <laughs> well, Reg, between all of the, the the racism and discrimination you faced, like even in a sense, like breaking breaking into the NHL was a big big win because a lot of first names weren't allowed to leave the reserves without a permit from the Indian agent. Yeah. You know, till 1951. And so even just the culture shock and everything else and all the pressure of being so good back then. And I know we, a lot of First Nations people do do battle demons and, and alcoholism was a bit of a factor. Do you think some of the pressure that you faced, like how did you deal with that? Because there was a stint that, that you did battle the battle with the alcoholism piece. Can you talk about that and share a little bit how you dealt with that? You know, for me, it's a hard question to answer because of, uh, um, you know, I, I, I started drinking at a young age and I, you know, I, I performed well, but it's, you know, I wouldn't recommend it to the young kids today. But playing in the National Hockey League is that, you know, I was sort of like a follower. I just followed everybody, what they did. You know, I know a lot of us back in the 70s drank, mm -hmm. but I think it's more more because I was First Nation. Now it's, it's brought up more than than what's, what was going on with other, with other hockey players. Um, I, I believe that I, I never drank more than a lot of the players that, that I played with over the years. And uh, just because I'm First Nation, it's brought out more because of what's going on in our world of, of with the, with alcoholism in our First Nation community and that, and it carried on to to other players that played in the National Hockey League. So, you know, it's like we were talking about before, is that uh, we're behind eight ball before we even, even get drafted, just because who we are and the color of our skins and, and how we grew up. And those those are things that I I I noticed. But but playing in the National Hockey League, you know, I you know I had I had problems. I I think I I think my uh, uh, drinking became in about nineteen. I would say probably nineteen seventy eight and up, where I got got worse and worse and worse. And then uh, uh, by the time nineteen eighty two come along, I think they were sick enough. They were the National Hockey League or the Philadelphia Flyers were tired of me what I was doing, and uh, they released me. 
but those are things you learn from. You really learn from your mistakes. And and I uh, I performed well on ice when I was playing. Um, to me, I, I didn't feel any different than anybody else when I when I went out. My bad year in the Philadelphia Flyers were 34 goals a year, and uh, I think I averaged 39 year, goals a year in Philadelphia. And mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I remember my last year, I was I was uh, I got uh, released in in 1982. Uh, Pat Quinn got released. I got released. Uh, at that time, I uh, one of the reasons I got released because I walked out of training camp a year before because they promised me a new contract. Uh, so I so I walked out, and and you can't do that with the Flyers at that time. But I did, and I come back. They gave me a new contract, but I had a contract that I, if I got 50 points or 30 goals, they would expend, extend my contract for another three years. Oh. And they re- they released me when I had 47 points at 27 goals and there's still 18 games to go in this season. Oh, wow. And, yeah. they, they benched him before yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think the writing was on the wall. Yeah. And so that, that was, uh, that added a lot of pressure, of course, to Reg trying to achieve yeah. those numbers. And, but he was, a, he was well on his way to achieving those numbers. And then, yeah. uh, you know, uh, you know, things started to happen, uh, I, you know, that that pressure. And once he was released, uh, he went to play for Detroit. And mm-hmm. uh, but other things happened where his uh, uh, brother, who he's closest to, passed away, who had just been visiting him. And then he passed away tragically in his home community. And I think that kind of led uh, Reg to spiral downwards. So oftentimes mm-hmm. you hear these tragic events in our community and they do have an effect because we have a hard time grieving in a healthy way oftentimes. So, you know, I think that's what happened to Reg at the time. Like I, I really didn't realize that it had affected me that much, but you know, after it's all done and everything else and you reflect back at the moment and, and what happened to you and stuff like that. And so those are the things that, uh, that I look back on. Um, I, I know my national hockey league career as, as a first nation person is, is, is probably one of the best, uh, as a as a First Nation person, we do have uh, guys that are Métis that had better better years and better success and stuff. But it's uh, as a First Nation player, I think that I, I was probably one of the best at it. And and oh, uh, you know, like the, going back to the winning the Stanley Cup in some periods, that uh, um, my son Jamie and I are we are the only First Nation father and son to ever win the Stanley Cup. So I'm yeah. very proud of that. So. That's that's something that people don't really realize. That's no. a huge accomplishment to have a father and son winning this. There's not many people that say they got a Stanley Cup ring. That in no. itself, so getting one, but to share that with your son, that's no. even a double double bonus. So, oh yes, to have their names printed on the Stanley Cup is amazing. Yeah, yeah. So you know, there's a lot of players now in the NHL. Like we think back over the years, uh, uh, you know, yourself, your son Jamie, Gino Ojic, Ted Nolan, John Shabbat. And now you've got Montreal's Carey Price and Washington's C.J. Oshie. Uh, but there still aren't a large number of First Nations in the National Hockey League. What do you think are some of the barriers and what do you think needs to change? I think the biggest thing is that we have so many, like we talked about before, we have so many kids that are talented between 13 and 16 years old. They're unbelievable. They're, getting, they're always getting called up or, or, or asked to play in these at super leagues and stuff like that. And, and, and think that once they hit the 16 years old part of it, it's a combination of everything else is it's, it's like anything else. If you're not dedicated to what you want to do, 
Uh, they think they're entitled to stuff. You still got to work your butt off to get to where you want to go. That's the thing with our community, or with our kids today, is that you know they're they're playing Triple A, they're playing and maybe in the Western Hockey League and or the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League, and they might be superstars there. But that you got to get that extra step. You got to have that extra drive to get to the National Hockey League today. To be so talented today in the National Hockey, it's unbelievable. Fourth mm-hmm. liner today, you know how good they are. That's the thing. People don't understand. Parents don't understand how good you have to be to play in the National Hockey League or the, or the Western Hockey League or the Ontario Junior League or Major League. How, how strong you have to be, how, how dedicated you have to be today. Mm-hmm. If I was playing today and I did the things back in the 60s and 70s when I was playing junior hockey, there's no way they would take me because we, we didn't have we didn't have the uh, we weren't in shape all year round like these kids are today. These kids are just unbelievable talent, and, and you got to be in shape all the time today for, to play in this league. Yeah. One of the things that I wanted to add to that is that I really do believe that in the NHL, we need an Indigenous ambassador for the game. And uh, I, I think that is really, really important. I know, of course, Willie O'Ree is the ambassador for Black players in the NHL. And, and I think that having that kind of leadership helps to mentor a lot of the young people. Uh, as well, I, I look at, uh, I, I'm really proud of Alfie Michaud. He's um, the goalie coach for our team out in, in Maine. Maine. And he uh, he's really nurturing a lot of young boys along, young men, I should say, along in the league. And uh, he's helped to, to nurture a couple already at least one who's made it to play for one of the Florida teams. But uh, um, uh, First Nation uh, fellow, the name escapes me at the moment. But I I think that having um, Indigenous uh, involvement in management and coaching at the higher levels will also help. I know uh, Barube is is a great uh, example as well as an Indigenous uh, coach in the NHL. Of course, Ted Nolan's been coaching. But I think we need to see more of our people at that level to help uh, mentor the young guys along when, once they get there, because there is a lot of pressure mm-hmm. and uh, nobody knows that pressure more than somebody who's been through it. So I think having our own ambassador and having um, our, our people throughout uh, involved throughout the league and the management positions would make a huge difference. That's a good recommendation. And I think that's something going forward, what we've always advocated, like having an ambassador for Indigenous peoples is a really good suggestion. And even getting our people involved in senior management decision-making mm-hmm. tables throughout the National Hockey League. We've said in the public sector and the private sector, we got to get more First Nations people, for example, on the, uh, on the Supreme Court of Canada. We got to get more First Nations people as CEOs, more deputy ministers, more people involved in management leadership positions, even in the sporting industry, and especially through the NHL, as, as a way to, to deal with some of these things going forward. That's a strong recommendation. Now, Reggie, you wanted to make yeah. another comment. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I know that uh, you know the thing is, is we as as myself as the elder and people that are retired from hockey, you know, we're we're still role models. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. if you're successful and if you're successful in your community and you're one of the elders and you're and you're a role model. Um, the kids today got to realize that is that I know that I get to go to a lot of a lot of communities. I get to see so many kids in different communities and I get to talk to them. And if you can sit sit down with these kids alone without parents or teachers, it's amazing how smart these kids are. It it, it blows my mind because of what they know. Mm-hmm. And but they're so quiet. They're back in there in the background, and you know they don't they don't know that much outside or outside of their communities. 
because uh, a lot of times I'll ask them, okay, when you when you finish school, what do you want to be? Oh, I want to be the Zamboni driver. I want to look after the arena. You know, I want to work with the with the communities, which is great. I always tell the kids, go out, get an education, go to college, take something that that you can learn and bring back to your community to teach everybody. So those are one things that that I, I I'm a big believer in. Get these kids out, get them educated, and uh, let them go back home again. I said I always tell them, leave your community, come back, because your your friends will always be there when you come back. Mm-hmm. So you know they're not going to leave. Go forward and then come back and make a contribution to help yes, out your relatives yes, back home. Yeah. That's a good well, statement. Yeah, it's like um, we're we're so proud of you, what you've done in the National Hockey League and everything that uh, you brought a lot of pride to our people and to your family and. Uh, uh, but you've made statements that you're more proud of what you've done after hockey. Uh, what do you mean that? And why is that? Why do you make those statements, Reggie? Well, mainly because uh, uh, hockey, playing in the National Hockey League just was a step, just a stepping stone of what I am today. Um, I think because I all the mistakes I made as a, as a young teenager, as a young adult, and and playing in, in playing playing in National Hockey, making bad choices along the way. Um, uh, going through the uh, uh, rehab in Philadelphia for six weeks and coming out of the rehab and realizing of, of uh, you know, how how I screwed my life up because of alcohol and, and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, I really didn't get involved with anybody for a, lo- a lot of years after I come out of rehab. I got myself busy. I got myself in a landscaping business and I sort of buried myself in my business for a, a lot of years. Uh, and then, you know, Phil Fontaine was the one. I was doing something for Phil one time, and and uh, and he says, Reg, you should let people know your story. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, I could do that, yeah. And, and I started off, Perry, I was the worst speaker ever. You would have kicked me out of the building. <laughs> and, and but once I got, once I, you know, I used to write everything down and, 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 you know, I'm not the greatest reader and everything else, but then finally somebody says, just speak from the heart. And ever since then, I just, I go along with it and stuff like that. But, it, but I am, I'm more proud of what I have done after hockey. Hockey, like I said, was just a stepping stone. The things I have, uh, the places I have seen, the wonderful people I have worked with, all the youth across the country and, and all these functions I do for First Nation communities. It, it, to me, it's uh you know, doing the hockey schools in these communities up north, and and uh, my son and I, and uh, seeing these smiley faces when they come to see you in the mornings, and, and working their their hard, hardest and everything else. And I remember uh, doing one in Nunavik, mm-hmm. and uh, and the kids be just waiting there for you in the morning to come there because you pay attention and they give you a big hug and. And stuff like that, and and I know that uh, I'm old school still. I I still believe the kids need a hug and everything else, and I'm always patting the kids on the back for doing a good job and stuff like that. But it's it's something that you have to see. You got to see see these kids smiling, and you look at them what they do up there, and uh, come to their hockey rink and and their skidoo with the big sleigh in the back with hockey with their hockey equipment in the back, and the kids are sitting in their equipment on. Way they go, it's it's amazing. Like all the all the schools that we go to is that. I'm sort of like the overseer. I'm on the ice a lot, but I look at these young kids where they come from, where they've been, and and you always wish the best for all of them. Uh, 
they're so happy when they come to the ring. And those are the things that we have to uh, pay attention to is to our youth today. Yeah. It's very important to uh, keep our, our youth on the right path. And, and it's up to people like myself and to all the elders to uh, show them the right direction. And sometimes they just look at us and say, oh, you guys are going to be controlled people. That's all. You don't know nothing. <laughs> What about you, Don? What do you what do you think uh, Reggie's work after hockey has impressed you the most? Well, I think first of all, just following on what he said about enjoying the smiles of the children that he gets to meet. Um, you know, I think that he sees himself in every every kid out there. He uh, grew up uh, in a family with uh, uh, very modest means. Um, you know, I, I if you see the pictures of him as a child, his little round brown face, and, <laughs> <laughs> and he just liked uh, just being outside and uh, and and being around other kids and and learning and uh, trying his best. He was always a an athlete from uh, what his family talks about all the time. So, I but I think his accomplishment is uh, going to the communities and being a person who can understand where those kids come from. Because he knows that, uh, for the most part, he was raised in poverty, and a lot of these kids are experiencing mm -hmm. poverty, and so he's he's out there um, trying his best to encourage them and to uh, lead them in the right direction. That's what he likes to do. He's like a grandfather to many many kids. A lot of people call him Uncle Reggie, and uh, I think it's just knowing from where they come from because of his background mm -hmm. himself, and I think that makes a huge difference. And that's really why they, they go out to the communities and put on the hockey schools is because they can relate to the kids directly. And I, and uh, he knows how the a lot of the communities function so he can go in there and speak with the leadership uh, just as easily as he could speak to a six-year-old child. And uh, I think that that's uh, his gift that he has. Uh, I know that I've seen people come up to him and uh, they're just trembling as they take his hand to shake his hand. and. Uh, they're just happy to see him that he's gone there, but he's a very humble. Uh, he's not a, a kind of guy who uh, expects anything. He likes to sit down and drink tea and have bannock. And uh, sometimes in these tents up in the far north uh, in the middle of winter. Uh, <laughs> so he's not shy at all. And uh, uh, he loves what he does. He really genuinely cares about the kids. And I think that that's a, uh, that's the thing. We can hardly wait till we see some of these children maybe playing in the NHL someday. That's uh, that's going to be uh, Reg's greatest achievement to see some of these kids that he's taught yeah. to uh, play. Yeah, something to you be know, totally proud of is, is how you're giving back to the people and influencing and having a huge impact on our young people going forward. No question. Yes. That's something to be totally proud of. Now, in your last thirty years, like since uh, the seventies. Even working with young people now, recently, uh, have you seen a lot of changes? What changes have you noticed in, in uh, 30 years working with young people, basically, uh, after your career in the NHL? Have you seen any changes? What have you noticed? I, I, I noticed the most over the last, probably the last 10, 15 years, how, how smart the young kids are. Mm -hmm. Kids that are, are uh, there, we have more, we have more uh, kids that want to go to school. They want to get educated. And that's what I seen. Uh, you know, we do have, uh, like we said, we talked about. We do have all the, the, a lot of problems on our on our residents and stuff like that on First Nation communities. But you have the, these young these young uh, students today. They're so smart. They want to be educated. They're uh, like I'm a big I'm a big believer of youth council. 
mm-hmm. because I think they should have I think they should have a voice in their community. Um, you know, I think they should give them the give the chief and council their their ideas and let them go from there. Uh, you know, I always say that how at my age being chief, how do I know what a youth needs at age 13, 14, 15, 16? We don't. We're guessing. You know, uh, and those are the things that we we have to promote. These young kids having the voice in our community and and doing it the right way, though. Don't you know? Don't demand. Give them. I always tell them: write down the stuff. Go to council. Write down the stuff you guys would like to see change for the for the youth, and go mm-hmm. from there. That's 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 one thing I I noticed with the kids today is that 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 they are so smart today that these young kids they're much smarter than I was when I was that age. Uh, you know, they, they're, you know, you have so many young kids that want to get, get, get their high school education mm-hmm. and, and go to university. They want to come back and help our communities. That's what I see the difference is. Okay. Yeah. Reggie, you're, you're a leader. Uh, and I would say you don't have to be elected to be a leader and you're leading uh, a lot of uh, our young people in a good way down a good road. Uh, your mentorship, uh, leadership. Uh, is there anything that you want to share with our list, it's a wide open as, as Reggie Leach, as uh, the rifle, Reggie, the rifle Leach, you know, a uh, strong leader in the national hockey league uh, in the seventies growing up. Uh, is there, what would you like to share with our listeners here at, on the Akamemuk podcast? Do you know what Perry, I, you know, I always want to say this. I'm going to say it is that I, I, I want to see us, our leaders across the country is, is stop talking about all the negative stuff that we do. Let's start talking about all the positive stuff we have done and all the wonderful things we've done in each community. Those are things I would like to see because every time I go to a function, to a big gathering, we're always talking about the negative stuff. There's more to life than negative stuff. Let's let's show the world what we have done positive over the years because we're a, we're a, we're a strong nation. We survive. Doesn't matter what they throw at us. Let's show them. We. You know, we've got people that have own big companies. We have got big, you know, we're successful business people. And they're always looking on the down, on, at the downside of First Nation community. Let's show them what we have and, and, and go from there. Uh, forget about all the negative stuff that we've been through and talk about. You know, that's ba- that's in the past. You know, I go to some of the meetings, and AFM meetings, right? They talk about stuff that happened in 1973, 74. We're beyond that now. We've got to move on. You know, we know how important <laughs> history is. Yeah. But the thing is, I think we need to be more solution oriented. Yeah. I think that that's important, and we also need to capitalize on the fact that I I never knew until a couple of weeks ago that we have almost three hundred Indigenous PhDs in Canada. Mm-hmm. How how come we're not taking advantage of that uh, uh, strong network of educated people to help us along? We, we, we should be supporting those who, uh, that are uh, building bridges for us, uh, that are uh, paving new paths or making new paths for us and showcase them. Those business leaders out there, our academic leaders, our health leaders, we have a lot of people doing wonderful, innovative things. And uh, I know that, uh, you know, once, we, once in a while we have awards to recognize people, but I think we need to have a, a way to to engage the people who have uh, taken the time and done the hard work to study 
in different areas or to build a business that's making a difference, we need to lift them up uh, and uh, support them and showcase them and tell those great stories. I really agree that that's a, that's a great point, Rich. I think that's a, a strong, powerful message to close with is focusing on all the positive things that First Nations have contributed to Canada and the world and not so much on the negative things. Like we have doctors, we have lawyers, we have business people, and uh, we have academics, we have scientists, we have so many First Nations people doing really good things. And uh, what a strong, powerful message. So so Reggie Leach and Don Marabi Leach, uh, thank you so much for sharing this time, for your words, your vision, uh, your heartfelt feelings, and, and for being the leaders that you both are for our people. Miigwech, National I want to thank all of our listeners for listening into this episode of Akamemup. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Give us a rating and tell your friends about us on social media. And as always, we want to give a big shout out to the Red Dog Singers of Treaty 4 Territory in Southern Saskatchewan for providing our theme music. Until next time, I'm Terry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. Yeah.